0: Chapter eight of the Lamplighter. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Bridget Gage. The Lamplighter by Maria Susanna Cummins. Chapter eight. Revenge at first, though sweet, Bitter ere long, back on itself recoils. Milton. The next day was Sunday. True was in the habit of going to church half the day at least, with the sexton's family. But Gertie, having no bonnet, could not go, and True would not leave her. So they spent the morning together, wandering round among the wharves and looking at the ships, Gertie wearing her old shawl pinned over her head. In the afternoon, True fell asleep by the fireside, and Gertie played with the cat. Willie came in the evening, but it was only to say good-bye before going back to Mr. Bray's. He was in a hurry, and could not stop at all, for his master had a sober household, and liked to have his doors closed early, especially Sunday night. Old Mr. Cooper, however, made his usual visit, and when he had gone, True, finding Gertie sound asleep on the settle, thought it a pity to wake her, and laid her in bed with her clothes on. She did not wake until morning, and then, much surprised and amused at finding herself dressed, sprung up and ran out to ask True how it happened. True was busy making the fire, and Gertie, having received satisfactory answers to her numerous inquiries— when and where she fell asleep, and how she came in bed, applied herself earnestly to help in every possible way about getting the breakfast and putting the room in order. She followed Mrs. Sullivan's instructions, all of which she remembered, and showed a wonderful degree of capability in everything she undertook. In the course of the few following weeks, during which her perseverance held out surprisingly, she learned how to make herself useful in many ways— and, as Mrs. Sullivan had prophesied, gave promise of becoming, one day, quite a clever little housekeeper. Of course the services she performed were trifling, but her active and willing feet saved True a great many steps, and Shew as of essential aid in keeping the rooms neat, that being her especial ambition. She felt that Mrs. Sullivan expected her, now that the dust and cobwebs were all cleared away, to take care that they should not accumulate again, and it was quite an amusing sight every day when True had gone out as usual to fill and clean the street lamps, to see the little girl diligently laboring with an old broom, the handle of which was cut short to make it more suitable for her use. Mrs. Sullivan looked in occasionally to praise and assist her, and nothing made Gertie happier than learning how to do some new thing. She met with a few trials and discouragements, to be sure. In two or three instances the toast got burned to a cinder, And, worse still, she one day broke a painted teacup, over which she shed many a tear. But, as True never thought of blaming her for anything, she forgot her misfortunes, and experience made her careful. Kate McCarty thought her the smartest child in the world, and would sometimes come in and wash up the floor, or do some other work, which required more strength or skill than Gertie possessed. Prompted by her ambition to equal Mrs. Sullivan's expectations, and still more by her desire to be useful to True, and in some degree manifest her love to him by her labors, Gertie was usually patient, good-natured, and obliging. So very indulgent was True, that he rarely indeed lay a command upon the child, leaving her to take her own course, and have her own way. But, undisciplined as she was, she willingly yielded obedience to one who never thwarted her and the old man seldom saw her exhibit in his presence that violent temper, which, when roused, knew no restraint. She had little to irritate her in the quiet home she now enjoyed. But instances sometimes occurred which proved that the fire of her little spirit was not quenched, or its evil propensities extinguished. One Sunday, Gertie, who had now a nice little hood which True had bought for her, was returning with Mr. Cooper, Mr. Flint, and Willie, from the afternoon service at church. The two old men were engaged in one of their lengthy discussions, and the children, having fallen into the rear, had been talking earnestly about the church, the minister, the people, and the music, all of which were new to Gertie, and greatly excited her wonder and astonishment. As they drew near home, Willie remarked how dark it was growing in the streets, and then, looking down at Gertie, whom he held by the hand, he said, "'Gertie, do you ever go out with Uncle True and see him light the lamps?' "'No, I never did,' said Gertie, "'since the first night I came. "'I've wanted to, but it's been so cold Uncle True would not let me. "'He said I'd just catch the fever again.' "'It won't be cold this evening,' said Willie. "'It'll be a beautiful night. "'And if Uncle True's willing, let's you and I go with him. "'I've often been, and it's first-rate. "'You can look into the windows and see folks drinking tea "'and sitting all round the fire in the parlors. "'And I like to see him light those great lamps,' interrupted Gertie. "'They make it look so bright and beautiful all round. "'I hope he'll let us go. "'I'll ask him. Come,' said she, pulling him by the hand. "'Let's catch up with them and ask him now.' "'No. Wait,' said Willie. "'He's busy talking with Grandpa, and we're almost home. "'We can ask him then.' He could hardly restrain her impatience, however, and as soon as they reached the gate, she suddenly broke away from him and rushing up to True, made known her request. The plan was willingly acceded to, and the three soon started on the rounds. For some time Gertie's attention was so wholly engrossed by the lamplighting that she could see and enjoy nothing else. But when they reached the corner of the street and came in sight of a large apothecary shop, her delight knew no bounds. The brilliant colors displayed in the windows, now for the first time seen by the evening light, completely captivated her fancy and when Willie told her that his master's shop was very similar, she thought it must be a fine place to spend one's life in. Then she wondered why this was open on Sunday, when all the other stores were closed. And Willie, stopping to explain the matter to her, and to gratify her curiosity on many other points, found, when they started on their way, that True was some distance in advance of them. He hurried Gertie along, telling her that they were now in the finest street they should pass through, and that they must make haste, for they had nearly reached the house he most wanted her to see. When they came up with True, he was just placing his ladder against a post opposite a fine block of buildings. Many of the front windows were shaded, so that the children could not see in. Some, however, either had no curtains, or they had not yet been drawn. In one parlour there was a pleasant wood-fire, around which a group were gathered, and here Gertie would fain have lingered. Again, in another, a brilliant chandelier was lit, and though the room was vacant, the furniture was so showy, and the whole so brilliant, that the child clapped her hands in delight, and Willie could not prevail upon her to leave the spot, until he told her that further down the street was another house, equally attractive, where she would perhaps see beautiful children. "'How do you know there'll be children there?' said she, as they walked along. "'I don't know, certainly,' said Willie, "'but I think there will.' They used always to be up at the window when I came with Uncle True last winter. "'How many?' asked Gertie. Three, I believe. There was one little girl, with such beautiful curls, and such a sweet, cunning little face. She looked like a wax doll, only a great deal prettier.' "'Oh, I hope we shall see her,' said Gertie, dancing along on the tops of her toes, so full was she of excitement and pleasure.' "'There they are!' exclaimed Willie. "'All three, I declare, just as they used to be.' "'Where?' said Gertie. "'Where?' "'Over opposite in the great stone house. "'Here, let's cross over. "'It's muddy. "'I'll carry you.' Willie lifted Gertie carefully over the mud, and they stood in front of the house. True had not yet come up. It was he that the children were watching for. Gertie was not the only child that loved to see the lamps lit." It was now quite dark, so that persons in a light room could not see any one out of doors. But Willie and Gertie had so much the better chance to look in. It was indeed a fine mansion, evidently the home of wealth. A clear coal fire, and a bright lamp in the center of the room, shed abroad their cheerful blaze. Rich carpets, deeply tinted curtains, pictures in gilded frames, and huge mirrors, reflecting the whole on every side, gave Gertie her first impressions of luxurious life. There was an air of comfort combined with all this elegance, which made it still more fascinating to the child of poverty and want. A table was bountifully spread for tea. The cloth of snow-white damask, the shining plate, above all, the home-like hissing tea-kettle, had a most inviting look. A gentleman in gay slippers was in an easy-chair by the fire. A lady in a gay cap was superintending a servant-girl's arrangements at the tea-table. And the children of the household, smiling and happy, were crowded together on a window seat, looking out, as we have said. They were, as Willie had described them, sweet, lovely-looking little creatures, especially a girl about the same age as Gertie, the eldest of the three. Her fair hair fell in long ringlets over a neck as white as snow. She had blue eyes, a cherub face, and a little round plump figure. Gertie's admiration and rapture were such that she could find no expression for them, except in jumping up and down, shouting, laughing, and directing Willie's notice first to one thing and then another. "'Oh, Willie! Isn't she a darling? And see what a beautiful fire! What a splendid lady! And look, look at the father's shoes! What is that on the table? I guess it's good. There's a big looking-glass. And, oh, Willie, ain't they dear little handsome children?' In all her exclamations, she began and ended with her praises of the children. Willie was quite satisfied. Gertie was as much pleased as he had expected or wished. True now came up, and, as his torchlight swept along the sidewalk, Gertie and Willie became, in their turn, the subjects of notice and conversation. The little curly-haired girl saw them, and pointed them out to the notice of the other two. Though Gertie could not know what they were saying, she did not like the idea of being stared at and talked about. And hiding behind the post, she would not move or look up, though Willie laughed at her, and told her it was now her turn to be looked at. When True took up his ladder, however, and started to move off, she commenced following him at a run, so as to escape observation. But Willie calling to her, and saying that the children were gone from the window, she ran back as quickly to have one more look, and was just in time to see them taking their places at the tea-table. The next instant the servant girl came and drew down the window-shades. Gertie then took Willie's hand again, and they hastened on once more to overtake True. "'Shouldn't you like to live in such a house as that, Gertie?' said Willie. "'Yes, indeed,' said Gertie. "'Ain't it splendid?' "'I wish I had just such a house,' said Willie. "'I mean to one of these days.' "'Where will you get it?' exclaimed Gertie, much amazed at so bold a declaration. "'Oh, I shall work, and grow rich and buy it.' "'You can't. It would take a lot of money. "'I know it, but I can earn a lot, and I mean to. "'The gentleman that lives in that grand house was a poor boy when he first came to Boston. "'And why can't one poor boy get rich, as well as another? "'How do you suppose he got so much money?' "'I don't know how he did. There are a good many ways.' Some people think it's all luck, but I guess it's as much smartness as anything. "'Are you smart?' Willie laughed. "'Ain't I,' said he. "'If I don't turn out a rich man one of these days, you may say I ain't.' "'I know what I'd do if I was rich,' said Gertie. "'What?' asked Willie. 1st I'd buy a great nice chair for Uncle True, "'with cushions all on the inside and bright flowers on it, "'just exactly like that one the gentleman was sitting in. And next, I'd have great big lamps, ever so many all in a bunch, so's to make the room as light, as light as it could be. "'Seems to me you're mighty fond of lights, Gertie,' said Willie. "'I be,' said the child. "'I hate old, dark, black places. I like stars and sunshine and fires, and Uncle True's torch.' "'And I like bright eyes,' interrupted Willie. "'Yours look just like stars. They shine so to-night. Ain't we having a good time?' yes, real. And so they went on, Gertie jumping and dancing along the sidewalk, Willie sharing in her gaiety and joy, and glorying in the responsibility of entertaining, and at the same time protecting the wild little creature. They talked much of how they would spend that future wealth which, in their buoyant hopefulness, they both fully calculated upon one day possessing. For Gertie had caught Willie's spirit, and she, too, meant to work and grow rich, Willie told Gertie of the many plans he had for surrounding his mother and grandfather, and even herself and Uncle True, with every comfort and luxury he had ever heard or dreamt of. Among other things, his mother was to wear a gay cap, like that of the lady they had seen through the window. And at this, Gertie had a great laugh. She had an innate perception of the fact that the quiet, demure little widow would be ridiculous in a flowered headgear. Good taste is inborn, and Gertie had it in her. She felt that Mrs. Sullivan, attired in anything that was not simple, neat, and sober-looking, would altogether lose her identity. Willie had no selfish schemes. The generous boy suggested nothing for his own gratification. It was for the rest he meant to labor, and in and through them that he looked for his reward. Happy children, happy as children only can be. What do they want of wealth? What of anything, material and tangible, more than they now possess?' They have what is worth more than riches or fame. They are full of childhood's faith and hope. With a fancy and imagination unchecked by disappointment, they are building those same castles that so many thousand children have built before, that children always will be building, to the end of time. Far off in the distance they see bright things, and know not what myths they are. High up they rise and shine and glitter, and the little ones fix their eyes on them, overlook the rough dark places that lie between see not the perils of the way suspect not the gulfs and snares into which many are destined to fall but confident of gaining the glorious goal they set forth on the way rejoicing blessings on that childhood's delusion if such it be undeceive not the little believers ye wise ones check not that god-given hopefulness which will perhaps in its airy flight Lift them in safety over many a rough spot in life's road. It lasts not long at the best. Then check it not, for as it dies out, the way grows hard. One source of the light-heartedness that Willie and Gertie experienced undoubtedly lay in the disinterestedness and generosity of the emotion which occupied them, for in the plans they formed neither seemed actuated by selfish motives. They were both filled with the desire to contribute to the comfort of their more aged friends. It was a beautiful spirit of grateful love which each manifested, a spirit in a great degree natural to both. In Willie, however, it had been so fostered by pious training that it partook of the nature of a principle, while in Gertie it was a mere impulse, and alas for poor human nature, when swayed by its own passions alone. The poor little girl had, as who has not, other less pleasing impulses, and if the former needed encouraging and strengthening, "'so did the latter require to be uprooted and destroyed. "'They had reached the last lamp-post in the street, "'and now turned another corner. "'But scarcely had they gone a dozen steps "'before Gertie stopped short, "'and positively refusing to proceed any further, "'pulled hard at Willie's hand, "'and tried to induce him to retrace his steps. "'What's the matter, Gertie?' said he. "'Are you tired?' "'No, oh no, but I can't go any further.' "'Why not?' Oh, because—because—and here Gertie lowered her voice, and, putting her mouth close to Willie's ear, whispered, There is Nan Grant's house. I see the house. I had forgot Uncle True went there. And I can't go. I'm afraid. Oh, ho! said Willie, drawing himself up with dignity. I should like to know what you're afraid of when I'm with you. Let her touch you if she dares. And Uncle True, too. I should laugh. Very kindly and pleasantly did Willie plead with the child, telling her that Nan would not be likely to see them, but that perhaps they should see her. And that was just what he wanted—nothing he should like better. Gertie's fears were easily allayed. She was not naturally timid. It was only the suddenness of the shock she received, on recognizing her old home, that had revived, with full force, her dread and horror of Nan.' It needed but little reasoning to assure her of the perfect safety of her present position, and her fears soon gave place to the desire to point out to Willie her former persecutor. So by the time they stood in front of the house, she was rather hoping than otherwise to catch sight of Nan, and never had any one a fairer chance to be looked upon than Nan at that moment. She was standing opposite the window, engaged in an animated dispute with one of her neighbors. Her countenance expressed angry excitement and, as ill-looking a woman at best, her face now was so sufficient an index to her character that no one could see her thus, and afterwards question her right to the title of vixen, virago, scold, or anything else that conveys the same idea. "'Which is she?' said Willie. "'The tall one, swinging the coffee-pot in her hand? "'I guess she'll break the handle off if she don't look out.' "'Yes,' said Gertie. "'That's Nan.' "'What's she doing?' Oh, she's fighting with Miss Birch. She does most always with somebody. She don't see us, does she? No, she's too busy. Come, don't let's stop. She's an ugly-looking woman, just as I knew she was. I've seen enough of her, and I'm sure you have. Come. But Gertie lingered, courageous in the knowledge that she was safe and unseen. She was attentively gazing at Nan, and her eyes glistened, not as a few minutes before, with the healthy and innocent excitement of a cheerful heart but with the fire of kindled passion, a fire that Nan had kindled long ago, which had not yet gone out, and which the sight of Nan had now revived in full force. Willie, thinking it was time to be hurrying home, and perceiving once more that Mr. Flint and his torch were far down the street, now left Gertie, and started himself, as an expedient to draw her on, saying, at the same time, Come, Gertie, I can't wait. Gertie turned, saw that he was going, then, quick as lightning, stooped, and picking up a stone from the sidewalk, flung it at the window. There was a crash of broken glass, an exclamation in Nan's well-known voice, but Gertie was not there to see the result of her work. The instant the stone had left her hand, and she heard the crash, her fears all returned, and flying past Willie, she paused not until she was safe by the side of True. Willie did not overtake them until they were nearly home, and then came running up, exclaiming breathlessly, "'Why, Gertie, do you know what you did? "'You broke the window.' "'Gertie jerked her shoulders from side to side "'to avoid Willie, pouted, "'and declared that was what she meant to do. "'True now inquired what window, "'and Gertie unhesitatingly acknowledged what she had done, "'and avowed that she did it on purpose. "'True and Willie were shocked and silent. "'Gertie was silent, too, for the rest of the walk. "'There were clouds on her face, "'and she felt unhappy in her little heart. "'She did not understand herself.' or her own sensations. We may not say how far she was responsible for them, but this much is certain. Her face alone betrayed that, as evil took violent possession of her soul, peace and pleasantness fled away. Poor child! How much she needs to learn the truth! God grant that the inward may one day become as dear to her as now the outward light. Willie bade them good-night at the house-door, and, as usual, they saw no more of him for a week. End of chapter 8